Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 232, Her Passion for STEM. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight and more. NASA offers opportunities in a number of science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM disciplines to contribute to space exploration, scientific discovery, and so much more. Whether you're interested in microbiology, electrical engineering, exoplanets, there's probably something for you. Even more exciting, the space industry is growing, and opportunities inside and outside NASA are becoming more numerous. And even outside of the space bubble, the possibilities to have a rewarding career in STEM truly blossom. Particularly for young girls who have an interest in STEM, there may be some point in your life where you may not know how you can explore your passion, or worse, you can be deterred from pursuing a career that you may love. That's why on this episode, we're bringing in two role models of women in STEM, both inside and outside NASA, to talk about what inspired them and to share some advice, particularly for young women interested in STEM, on how to pursue their dreams. From NASA, we have Chris Brown, Deputy Associate Administrator of STEM Engagement, who has been with the agency for more than 25 years in a number of different roles. From outside NASA, we're bringing in Emily Calandrelli, a science communicator and influencer. She's known for hosting the Netflix show Emily's Wonder Lab and as the author of the Adelaide series. It was certainly inspiring to chat with these two people, and I hope you are inspired as well. Here's Chris Brown and Emily Calandrelli. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circuit for the red. Here she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Chris and Emily, thank you so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Gary, great to be with you. Looking forward to the conversation. It is certainly going to be a good one. I am talking with uh, two uh, very inspiring people here. I, I Just reading your backgrounds and what you've done and what you are doing, it is, it is truly inspiring. We're going to try to hit the NASA. We're going to hit outside of NASA because STEM is not something that's just exclusive to our efforts. It truly is universal. I wanted to start by talking about you, both of you as, as, and your personal experience um, growing up. What inspired you to pursue what you're, what you're uh, passionate about um, from your own words? Uh, of course, I introduced you in the, in the beginning here, but I think this will help us to, um, to help establish just, you know, your role in the world of STEM. Chris, why don't we start with you? Sure, Gary. Thanks. So for me, I grew up in a small rural factory town in central Pennsylvania and I was the first person in my family to go to college. I always like to share that tidbit about myself up front because I've learned firsthand truly the power of education and creating possibilities and shaping futures. My journey in STEM began early, being one of only two girls my age in our small neighborhood. It all began with me building roads, literally, in the dirt piles behind <laughs> our houses with all the boys in the neighborhood. What emerged during my early childhood was discovering my love for building. My dad brought home a Lego set when I was six, and I got immersed in building things, which led to discovering my love for drawing, art, and design. In school, I had a strong affinity for math and science, and my favorite aspects of that typically were labs and challenging projects. There were limited opportunities where I grew up, so almost all of what I was able to explore in STEM was in school. Given my love for art, drawing, and design combined with those interests in math and science, I decided I wanted to actually be an architect. I majored in architecture, and then mm -hmm. after my first year, I ended up in engineering. Maybe I can share a little bit more on that in a bit. Yeah, why don't we go into that? Um, because, of course, you... you had a pretty good understanding, it seems like, of your own interests, um, and you decided to merge all of that into architecture. It is it is a little bit about that, right? It's about understanding design. It's a little bit of art artistic expression, but ultimately you got to build the thing. What what made you transition to engineering? How did that how did that world open up for you? Yeah, absolutely. And Gary, you make a good point. I think that uh, STEM folks sometimes we get a little bit of a weird and not necessarily accurate. Uh, 
a stereotype or rap. Um, that mm -hmm. we're all very much creative souls, and are do a lot of creating in the work that we do. So, so for me, I had this very interesting realm of possibilities that I was contemplating, thinking about college as a musician. I considered that as a career. Um, medicine was a little bit in the mix there for a little bit. But with my family's economic status and limited resources, I decided that medicine probably wasn't quite for me. Mm. And in the end, I really did focus on that intersection of what I was passionate about, which is, I think, what we always talk about when we talk to students, that affinity for math and science, and then my interests in, in design and drawing and building. And so architecture was really a great choice. Um, I landed at Virginia Tech which had a, uh, it was, had a great architecture program with a strong design orientation. But as I moved through that program early on, I realized that what I resonated most with was that practical side of architecture, the building piece. Mm -hmm. And Frank Lloyd Wright was my hero. He was first an engineer. Um, after a period of discernment, I decided that engineering was probably a better fit for me and it truly did play out that way. Um, Chris, I'm I'm certainly going to circle back on uh, some of your, you know, some, uh, some of those studies. And then I, I, I find it interesting. I want to put a pin in this um, that you, of course, you, you were looking at role models. And of course, you had male role models in the in the roles. Um, but but why not? Why don't I actually focus on this for just a second? Your male role model, right? What you wanted to do. You found someone that you know that was that was inspiring to you, um, but of course, I think it is it is inspiring as a as a young woman to find um, inspiration uh, from a person who sort of who looks like you, right? To find maybe a female role model. Do you find that that is important, or do you find maybe you can find um, maybe it's a mix of both, whether it's important or whether it is also important to find that same level of inspiration in women. Yeah, I think you, you hit on a great point, Gary. I, there's, there is a lot to be said about um, the, it's really the immense importance of having students see themselves, literally be able to envision themselves in a future career. And that's by seeing people doing those things um, who look like them. And I think that's a really powerful um tool for us to really think about how do we place uh, vibrant, amazing role models out there so that especially students who are typically from uh, communities that are underserved and underrepresented in STEM can, can really envision what is possible for them and be able to dream about things that perhaps they might not have been able to do without seeing that person out there in front of them. And, and so for, I know for me, and very much throughout a lot of my career, almost all of my role models were men. Because um, mm -hmm. when I started out in engineering, less than 9% uh, of the workforce were women. And literally, I was the only woman engineer in the room most of the time. So a lot of my powerful mentors early in my career were men. I did, of course, as I moved through my career, uh, be able to uh, communicate and, and spend time with women who were in the field. And we pretty much stuck together and learned from each other. And then as I progressed even further, there were some very few women role models in engineering at that time at NASA who were in management and leadership positions. And, and they were also extremely influential in my career. I'm sure Emily We'll talk more about that as well. Oh, absolutely. And, and Chris, I, I absolutely want to explore your career at NASA and, and really dive into that. Um, just, you know, the role models and, and uh, the challenges just like that with being one of the only women in the room, um, having a voice to, uh, to talk engineering. I'm certain that came with challenges and we'll certainly explore that later. But, but to your point, we, we, of course, have another wonderful guest, Emily Calandrelli. Uh, Emily, tell us a little bit about yourself and your early career that led you to where you are. Yeah, Chris, I thought that it was so interesting because I actually was also very initially interested in architecture because for me, my favorite courses throughout high school and, and schooling were art and math and the natural marriage of those two things 
seemed to be architecture. But my school, my state school that had um, the cheapest uh, tuition for me and my family did not offer an architecture program. And so I thought that I would go into engineering first and then maybe get a master's somewhere else in architecture. Um, And the financial aspect of it all it really speaks to me because Mm -hmm. my father grew up in poverty in West Virginia and worked his way up to middle class where my family lived. And so I had that legacy in the back of my mind when I went to figure out what I wanted to study in college. And honestly, as a high school senior, I looked up all the starting salaries of the different majors that one could major in. And I found that engineers made the most money. And that's really how I decided to go into engineering. I didn't I didn't know any scientists or engineers growing up. I'm the first person in my family to pursue a degree in STEM. Um, and so I kind of reluctantly joined engineering as a career. And then once I was there, learned of all of the just incredible opportunities that students who pursue a degree in STEM have at their disposal. I was able to travel the world and do internships and and paid research. I was able to fly on NASA's Vomit Comet doing microgravity research. I went to Mexico with Engineers Without Borders to help a community in need with engineering tools that we were learning in the classroom. And these are all the things that made me become so enthusiastically obsessed with engineering and aerospace and NASA And that's the message that I try to share today, that it is just, it's so much more than you think it is. Um, And yes, you will end up with a good paying job in the end. That part is very true. Um, But there are also many fun adventures along the way that are fulfilling and you'll be able to help the world. And it's just, it's, uh, that is the message I try to share with the younger generation today. And Emily, kind of going following Chris's path here, while while you were exploring engineering and and, and going through, um, did you have role models, male, female, either one? Did you have role models that inspired you in one direction or another? I mean, the people that inspire me throughout my life are the people who do, as Chris mentioned, combine that creativity with their mm-hmm. love of science and engineering. Because we all have, I think, society in general has this assumption that engineers or people in STEM are only uh, right-brained, right? And so they, when people can, when people can combine their creativity skills and their love of something that is not simply science or engineering with their hardcore knowledge of science or engineering, that I think creates something magical and unique and really captivating. And so people like Bill Nye have always been people that I've looked up to because he's someone who knows his science, but is also an entertainer, which is mm. a science in its own right. Um, I think he's he's very funny. I think he's very entertaining and he's a great public speaker. And these are skill sets that aren't typically taught in an engineering classroom. And so when you can combine those types of skills, I think that you create something that can capture a a wide audience. Um, So those are the types of people that I look up to. And it certainly had an influence on you, it seems, um, because, of course, you're an engineer and you and you explored a technical field, but but you ultimately became a science communicator. Can you talk about that transition from engineering to being the person, exactly what you're describing, that that entertaining aspect and inspiring others. Right. So that was just a very coincidental career change. It wasn't <laughs> something that I sought out. Um, I was graduating from MIT, from graduate school, and looking for a job. And I had just finished my master's in technology and policy and was likely going to end up somewhere in D.C. Um, trying to influence science and tech policy. And I got a call from a production company that asked me if I wanted to be the host of a new space TV show. Um, They had found me because throughout my college career, I had done a lot of outreach. Outreach was always something that I I loved doing. I loved practicing public speaking. I loved trying out different arguments as to why NASA is worth public funds, why space technology is worthwhile. That Mm -hmm. was something that I loved to do in my spare time. 
And so there were these videos of me talking about NASA and its value to the country. Um, and so they, they saw that I had the background for it, the educational background for it, and was able to talk about it in a way that um, would hopefully resonate with audiences and families across the country. And I thought that sounded like quite the adventure. That was, let's say, nine, eight years ago now, nine years ago now. Um, mm. And it has been, it has unfolded into something that I could never have imagined um, with various TV shows and books and public speaking and social media and TikTok and just a wonderful array of mediums <laughs> to talk about my love of science and space. And that's certainly important. That's how we. That's how we're. You know, we inspire girls is is by is by communicating to them by offering content that that they can connect with. And you know, we we've been talking about role models by by giving them role models, um, people that they can look up to, and sharing that. And there's various ways to do that. I'm, I certainly want to explore that on today's podcast. Before we do, though, I want to focus on the topic. Um, today we're going to be talking about women in STEM. Why exactly are we doing this? Um, I think I think it's we've alluded to it a little bit before. Chris, Chris, I want to jump to you because one of the things you mentioned is that one of the reasons that we're talking about this today is when you were when you were a young engineer at NASA, um, you had to, you know, you had to be one of the very few women representing STEM at the time. It's not a field that is that is, I, I guess, highly pursued for one reason or another. So, Chris, can you give us a little bit of an overview on just women in STEM and what it is exactly, you know, why are we talking about this today? Sure, Gary. Yeah, so it's, so if you look back when, as you mentioned, when I started, uh, there were so few women in engineering in particular. And while I think we've made some strides um, since then as, as a country with respect to uh, upping, ramping up on on women in STEM. I I, I think we haven't made enough progress. It, it's interesting that literally just uh, this week, new data has come out from the National Science Foundation in their annual Science and Engi Engineering Indicators report, and I can share a few tidbits from that, which I think paints uh, the picture of the challenges that we have. So while women make up 52% of the college-educated U.S. workforce, only 29% comprise the science and engineering workforce. So this is a big improvement over years ago. 50 years ago, women made up only 8% of STEM workers. Mm -hmm. But in some notable fields, particularly in the physical science and computer science, the disparity is really still large. For instance, women make up less than 16% of the engineering workforce and only 25% of the computer science workforce. Unfortunately, women of color are even more underrepresented. Hispanic women make up only 2.3% of the science and engineering workforce. Black women make up 2.5%. Indigenous women make up less than 1%. And beyond gender overall, we need to shift the demographics of the science and engineering workforce, uh, men and women. Asians earned 11% of bachelor's degrees in science and engineering fields, Hispanics 15%, Black or African Americans 8.5%, American Indian or Alaska Natives 0.4%. So in order to reflect our nation's population and the population that we serve in STEM, we clearly need to do better, uh, not to mention sustaining the, the idea of a, of a healthy pipeline of, of future STEM workers in order to meet demands that, that we are so vividly experiencing globally in public health, climate change, um, the need for technological advances in, in, across multiple sectors. So I think in particular for women, while I think in, uh, certainly in medicine, and um, some of the other sciences, women have made great strides. In, in some of the, um, in some, again, some notable fields and particularly that of computer science and engineering, we need to do so much better. So Emily, taking some of the stats that Chris is sharing with us today, um, you, you mentioned you've been a science communicator for a number of years now. And of course, I'm sure you have an idea about your audience, right? Um, what have you seen just over the years on perhaps how that 
audience has changed. Um, just based on it's, it's seeing such low numbers across the board, do you think efforts like have being a science communicator and, and creating various products to reach out, do you think that's having a positive influence on inspiring more more women viewership? Absolutely. I mean, I'm seeing it firsthand. When I first started out eight or nine years ago, the vast majority of my audience were male. And that was when I was mostly just creating content geared toward a college and older uh, demographic, right? Mm. And then I started working on projects that were geared toward a younger generation, um, toward middle school and high school. And then most recently I did Emily's Wonder Lab on Netflix, which is geared toward ages three and up, three to 10 mm. really. And my audience demographic demographic has shifted completely. And mm. now the vast majority of my audience, 65% to 75% on some platforms is women, is girls. Um, and I think that's because once you get down to a younger generation, a lot of those stereotypes that kids have of who is supposed to end up in what career haven't seeped in quite yet. They haven't seen that... <laughs> the vast majority of TV shows and movies and books that feature scientists and engineers feature men or simply feature very like, you know, the Einstein style stereotype of crazy hair and glasses and old and white <laughs> and just your very uh, stereotypical scientist. But that mm -hmm. hasn't happened for them yet. Maybe for many of them, the first scientist they've ever seen on TV is me on Emily's Wonder Lab. And that's what they think of when they think of what is a scientist or what is an engineer. And so those stereotypes are changing slowly over time. Um, I do a number of different partnerships with companies, but one of the ones that I'm really proud of is with Olay, who is working on doubling the number of women in STEM by 2030. And just like Chris said, the uh, number of women in color women of color in STEM is even worse. And they're working to triple the number of women of color in STEM by 2030. And one of the ways that they're doing that, because obviously this is just a very complex situation and there's many reasons for why this is, but they're trying to improve the number of female mentors that young students have by working with organizations like Million Women Mentors and just providing that representation so that younger kids can see a person that kind of looks like them in a career that's in science and engineering. Chris, building off of what what Emily is saying, she she described, you know, a, a rise in in women viewership, addressing certain demographics, younger audiences, um, and actively pursuing some of the metrics that you were mentioning on these all these, um, you know, you know, all all of the different minority groups that have fewer women going into these uh specifically targeting them um this is a this is a universal thing as as emily was was mentioning this is an effort that is shared it's not just nasa specific but I, i'm curious on what nasa is doing yeah emily just uh, your story in terms of the increase in those metrics is just so powerful and it's demonstrative of what what is really possible in the collective work that we do. Um, one of our key goals, uh, Gary, as you mentioned, NASA is very, we're very devoted to building that next generation of explorers. It's one of our key goals. And we see that attracting and engaging students in STEM educational opportunities is so important in order to develop that diverse future STEM workforce. I mean, we're, we're all in this together. Emily mentioned some partnerships. We actually share some of those partnerships as well uh, in that we, we know that we can't do it alone. We NASA, we have a unique role to play and I think have a, have a great capacity in inspiring and engaging students through the work that we do and the people who do that work. But we're also very committed to partnerships with all, all of these various organizations and stakeholders who really want to build up science literacy in our country and also to are committed to engaging students in STEM. At NASA, we've got a, a whole set of opportunities that we offer for students and teachers. 
and schools and universities to engage with us and the work we do. And many of those learning opportunities for students and their teachers actually allow them to contribute to our work in exploration science, technology, and aeronautics. First of all, we have lots of great learning opportunities that are online. They're available to students and teachers. Some are designed for use in the classroom and others are really for students to learn independently at home with their families. And we also provide opportunities associated with many of our NASA missions so that students can learn about what those missions are designed to do, but also learn about some specific subject areas. For instance, I'm sure many of the listeners out there, I hope, have been watching what's been happening with our newly launched James Webb Space Telescope. It is amazing. It's incredibly exciting. We have a STEM toolkit for Webb that's online that provides a whole number of learning opportunities for students. And I would encourage them to go out there and look for that. We have the upcoming Artemis One mission to launch later this spring. We're gonna launch the biggest rocket ever. And students can find opportunities to engage with NASA uh, through that on our Join, Join Artemis website. Um, and then for students in middle school and high school, we have student challenges and competitions. And these are really fabulous opportunities for students to learn and get hands-on experiences in designing and building systems. And to do that working independently, but also in teams. One example I'd wanna highlight is that last week I participated in an event where we announced 57 winning teams for our TechRise Challenge. These student teams from all across the country designed climate or remote sensing instruments that fly, will fly on a high altitude balloon and space exploration instruments that will fly aboard a suborbital rocket. Those are incredible experiences for students and they help them learn about what it's like to work in STEM and help also prepare them for college. And then finally, I wanted to mention that we have partnerships, as, as Emily noted, with organizations to broaden our reach and impact. Uh, for example, we have a partnership with the Girl Scouts, and they are hosting right now Girl Scouts to the Moon and Back, an essay contest for all Girl Scouts across the country, which opened January 18th. And we also have relationships with Million Women Mentors. And, um, and other organizations that are devoted to reaching students where they are and, and in, in reaching on students from underserved and underrepresented uh, communities. This is truly a, it's a, it's a wider effort, right? It takes, it seems like it takes all of us to, to really share this message and it, and it truly is, it sounds like a, a very shared goal. Um, there are there are many organizations, people trying to trying to address this. NASA is certainly one of them, but it's not you know necessarily you know we we have all these great tools, but you know I don't want to I don't want to distract from the fact that of course um, that this is an uh, you know these are underserved communities, these are underrepresented communities, and of course that comes with a series of challenges, right? It's not just um, maybe perhaps a lack of interest that is the reason that girls are not pursuing these careers, but perhaps there are there are other challenges as well. Um, Emily, I wanted to start with you. Just you know, if you're if you can, if you if you can think of one to share, to share an experience of a challenge, right? I mean, of course, pursuing pursuing something you're interested in is one thing, but but it doesn't mean it's it's just you know, oh, I, I love exploring this and and everything's fine. Of course, pursuing that along the way is going to have your speed bumps, your obstacles, your roadblocks. Has, has, did, did you experience anything along the way uh, through your career as you were exploring this passion of yours? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different things. I think one of the ones that is uh, common for a lot of engineers is getting over a fear of public speaking. Um, for me, that was something that I learned that I needed to have much more confidence in in order to be good at my job. And I go back and I watch the first season of the show, the show that picked me up after I graduated from MIT with no TV experience whatsoever. And unsurprisingly, <laughs> when I go back and watch that, um, there are some cringeworthy moments where <laughs> I can tell that I am just out of my elements. I'm very uncomfortable. I'm not confident in myself. And so for me, 
I needed to go back and reevaluate um, why I wanted to do this in the first place. Is this something that I want to be good at? And I decided that it was because I think that media, especially TV and social media, can be incredibly powerful to change the global consciousness of society, especially for younger students. And so I learned that I wanted to be good at it. And so I had to critique myself and I had to figure out why it felt cringeworthy because mm. it, it's so hard to see something, to see yourself on camera and be like, ooh, that's not fun to watch. <laughs> but why? Right. <laughs> why does that feel awkward? And part of the reason is just, it's usually when you're just not confident enough. And one of the ways to get over that is to simply do it a bunch. And the more you do it, the better you get at it, the more comfortable you're going to get at it. As long as you're willing to evaluate yourself and self-critique and maybe even take advice from others and, and do all of these things that one does to get better at any skill in life. And so for me, um, getting good at talking on camera and finding my own voice was a challenge in the beginning and something I had to really work toward over time. Emily, I'm, I'm connecting so much with this because I, I same exact thing, right? I mean, um, just with with TV and, and even this podcast, just listening mm -hmm. back to some old old stuff. I'm just like, oh, really, Gary? Um, <laughs> but yeah. but uh, I wonder for, for, for in your experience, right? I think I think that 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 uh, piece of advice that you gave is so critical. It is to look past it, to self-analyze, to really try to do better. What was it, you know, that that really was that driving force that made you, and this is the key here, not quit, that made you want to keep going? I mean, I, I learned that it was fun. I think I found the joy hmm. in it. And I it was that joy was what drove me. I was like, this is something that I want to be really good at. Um, and so I, I I tried different types of ways to be good at it because just doing one thing sometimes um, is not likely to lead to success. Um, for me, it meant doing my work on TV with my TV show, but then also practicing in my own time on social media, because it's hard to find your own voice when you have a bunch of cameras and lights and strangers around you. And mm -hmm. for me, it was I was able to find my confidence, find my voice in front of a camera by using my smartphone by using my smartphone camera to film social media things and just be authentic and share my experience with the world and really ask myself, why am I excited about this piece of science and space technology that I am supposed to be sharing with the world and get them excited? Because if I'm not first excited, how can I expect them to get excited? And so I had to dive deep into why I was passionate about the things that I was sharing and once I did that, it became relatively easy because I found that when I was too focused on being a quote unquote TV presenter, I was less focused on my natural ability to just be excited about science and technology. And so once I focused on why I was excited about it, then it became much easier to exude that excitement uh, through TV hosting. I certainly want to circle back on that because I think that's a really that's a, that's a key here in terms of what it takes to inspire young girls. But I wanted to um, talk to Chris about some of the, sort of these same challenges. Chris, I'm sure um, I'm sure you have some um, some challenges that made you maybe want to quit. Uh, but regardless of that feeling, um, you still pursued what you loved. Um, did you have something like that in your in your uh, in your career coming up? Yes, indeed. I think first of all, I, I just want to I just want to note uh, that I think we're all thrilled, Emily, that you uh, persevered and uh, persisted oh, yeah. and, and did that deep dive because uh, I think you're you're bringing so much richness into this conversation and and creating lots of new possibilities for some of these young girls. So kudos to you. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think for me, it, it's it's similar. It's it's kind of the similar notion and theme of um, working in STEM is challenging, and and there's lots of complexities. And I I do remember um, sometimes feeling as if I was just in over my head, 
how can I do this? I think that college prepares you to enter the workforce. And then especially uh, in aerospace, given the complexities of the work that we do and the safety implications and all of those things, is that there, there are so many, um, so many interfaces and, and different uh, aspects of our work that is, it's exceedingly dynamic. And so what, what I recall many times is thinking, oh, you know, I, I, I just trying to keep up that energy and trying to um, be able to repeatedly take on some element of a design or analysis. And I remember there were many nights where I would be working many hours and waking up through the night to, to resubmit um, my, my analysis. So you would submit things to the mainframe computer at that time and, and have things come back uh, in the wee hours of the night and you'd need to turn it around. And so there's just that idea of, of perseverance and, and sticking with it. And, um, and that, that is, while it's difficult in those moments, I think, as Emily said, that it is really unbelievably exciting. And that, 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 that dynamic um, nature of the work that we do in STEM, I think, provides so much opportunity um, not only to to learn and to um, to contribute, but but also uh, what we do is just so important from a societal point of view. If you think about the the, the creative the, the things that we create out of STEM um, that have made earth shattering changes to our everyday lives um, and made such a positive difference in 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 society and and it, it's a it's really powerful and it is so exciting as as the prospect of, of a career for for young people and I think as I mentioned earlier we have so many challenges that that stem is really at the heart of those challenges climate change is probably the the first that comes to mind for me and that there's so much work yet to be done and uh, and that work is is not only inherently exciting and powerful, but it, but it also has grand possibilities with respect to impact. Yeah, you can, if you're passionate about a thing, you can get really good at that thing and you can make a grand difference. Um, something as, as grand as climate change, right? Affecting the, affecting everybody. Um, but Chris, there was something that you said earlier when we were chatting. Um, when you were uh, when you were pursuing what you what you love, uh, you you mentioned that you had an affinity for math and science, and I think that's a I think that is a key here because I had for, I'm you know I'm taking from my own personal experience here, but I certainly had an interest in science. I just really was not good at it, um, and I wonder to what extent if you're pursuing a STEM career, where that passion for math and science meets that affinity, meets that natural talent uh, to be able to to easily understand. Um, and what you would recommend maybe for for young girls, really everyone who who may be struggling in in being passionate about something, but not necessarily super good at it. Yeah, that's that's a good question, Gary. I think um, what what came to mind immediately is is uh, I don't know how many mothers that I've talked to that I've heard that story of, um, oh, my daughter, or something like to the effect of, oh, you're an engineer at NASA. Wow, that's so cool. And, and then translating, my daughter is, is not very good at math or she doesn't really like math. She's like mm -hmm. me. Um, and and I, so I think that there's kind of at work a, a number of different facets. I think one is, perhaps societal influence, right? Is that especially for girls, um, that, that it's, it's maybe slightly more okay to not, to not be as good at math. Um, so I think sometimes uh, girls don't necessarily always get the encouragement uh, that, that, they, that maybe they deserve in terms of their ability to perhaps 
learn math or struggle, as you said, struggle through it, right? That some, mm -hmm. some folks that maybe doesn't come quite as naturally to them. Um, but that said, there's a lot out there with respect to possibilities in terms of support and resources for students, whether it be girls or boys, to uh, learn to learn math and to have perhaps an easier time at it. So, so I think where, as you said, kind of that intersection between a passion for, um, say, science and maybe I'm not so as good at math or um, the the idea of, of, of the challenges inherent in that. I do think that some of the opportunities that certainly I didn't have when I was young because of where I grew up, and it sounds like Emily and I were, were both in the same place with respect to that, is mm -hmm. that there are so many opportunities out there now for students which are available and, and, and readily available. Um, that are online or um, through through their schools to really help bolster their studies and and to make some of the application of math and science really fun. Those after school clubs um, opportunities, especially for girls, to pursue some STEM learning opportunities and activities together, so that they they have the chance to be together and be in a supportive environment so that they are more apt to take risks and feel comfortable in doing that um, and to feel comfortable in the idea that they might fail. I, I think there are, there are so many experiences out there that are available, and I always encourage students to try to go after those. Not to mention the, the work that, Emily, you're doing in, in bringing all of that readily available on video and on TV. I think that um, math can be fun and, and math and science and STEM are amazingly fun. And we want students to be able to see that and feel it and touch it. Emily, let's, let's circle back on that. Um, the, the idea that how to, how to attract, you know, how to attract young girls to STEM and help them to explore it. And of course, as, as Chris mentioned, you've been doing this for quite some time. Um, figuring out the best ways to reach these audiences to get the numbers that you're getting, 65, 75% young girls. What is, what is the trick? What are your techniques to excite young girls into pursuing uh, STEM careers? Yeah, I mean, I think there's no trick. I think part of it is that I'm, I am a woman myself, and I think that that resonates, and they can mm -hmm. relate to maybe me talking about science or technology or whatever it is more so than a traditional uh, guy that you would you would normally see um, on these platforms. And I think that that it just becomes easier to digest the information when they see someone who looks like them. Um, some of the other things that I do like to employ because studies have shown that girls more often than little boys, appreciate altruism when it comes to deciding their ultimate career path, meaning they prioritize wanting to help others, they prioritize wanting to help the environment, to help the world. Um, and I think that intuitively that makes sense because as we probably know, there are not all STEM fields have that huge gender gap. STEM fields in the medical industry where it's very obvious that you will be um, working to help others that has less of a gender gap. Um, uh, these newer majors in environmental science have less of a gender gap. Um, and so I think in some of the other areas of STEM, like aerospace engineering, and, and Chris, you mentioned computer science, and some of these other ones that we do see this enormous gender gap, it would do us a favor to highlight all the ways that one can use that major to help others. Um, in aerospace engineering, I love talking about how space technology makes the world a better place, how we can leverage space technology to help people in need, to, um, to help recover after things like natural disasters, or to help bring broadband internet to the world and connect the other half of the planet that doesn't have internet today. Things like that, I think, are stories that resonate just a little bit louder with little girls than they do little boys. Very inspiring. Now, 
taking that one step further, Emily, because um, I think it's to, to me, it's one thing um, to, to show that initial interest, um, whether, you know, and, and sh show the value of the altruistic value of, of, a, of a STEM career uh, and get that initial interest, that spark that allows them to say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and do this uh, much, you know, of course, later in their life, like in, in your case, where you were exploring different careers and then ultimately landed on uh, engineering for, for a variety of different reasons. Um, what do you think is to take that next step from from the spark of inspiration to something that's so ingrained in a young woman that they will continue to pursue it, even through the challenges, through the ups and downs of studying and, and um, you know, the challenges along the way to, to make sure that it's something that's that's core to them so that they continue to pursue it? Yeah, I love when I see a lot of these organizations that focus on bringing girls together um, mm -hmm. with common interests, things like Girls Who Code or Black Girls Code, these organizations that allow these younger women to meet each other and create that community, I think that is so incredibly powerful and it makes these careers a bit more sticky for them because they can come back to that passion that they found initially by talking to others who are just like them, who are maybe experiencing some of the same challenges that only they understand. Um, and in this aerospace industry, especially, there's this kind of old boys network where opportunities flow from and uh, promotions often flow from and just in general insight of the industry flow from because these people are friends and that just naturally happens. Um, but women don't often have that same community. And so when we can nurture that, especially from a young age, I think that can help young girls grow up um, and, and pass that threshold from just being passionate about science and engineering to pursuing it as a lifelong career. So important to to show that you're not alone, that you're not the only one that's pursuing this and get a sense that that community, it's, it's just primal, I think, to all of us. Um, Chris, I think this is a good place to, to plug, uh, introduce a girl to engineering day. I think it's this idea of community is the perfect place to do it. It's coming up real soon, right? Yeah, introduce a girl to engineering day is uh, February 24th. And at NASA, we, we create uh, a little bit of a campaign around on social media and on some of our platforms to help girls see uh, NASA women engineers at work and experience them and experience the tremendously incredible work they do day in and day out. And uh, we just use it as an opportunity to try to reach out, especially to girls in, in, in attracting them to the idea of, of looking into what it might be like to be an engineer, and then also lead them to some very specific learning opportunities that they might want to participate in that NASA offers. So I'm personally really excited about it. Last year we had a really great following and we're looking forward to building even further on that this year. What I like about the, um, having both of you as guests is, is you both get to interact with people so much. Um, Emily, through your areas, you get to have kids on your show, right? And you get to see their inspiration. And of mm -hmm. course, Chris actually seeing you know, you, when you when you have these programs, these STEM programs, and invite girls, you get to you get to see the inspiration. And um, I think one of the most rewarding things about being in a position like this, where we where we get to communicate to people and reach out and and do all of these programs, is to is is when we see some spark of inspiration, we we see it in someone else, right? Well, of course, we've all experienced it, but we see it. Um, I wonder if you each have a moment like that. Uh, Emily, we'll start with you. If you have some student uh, that you've worked with or someone you've, you've uh, maybe a, if you were a mentor to someone uh, and you inspired the, a career, you inspired a decision, some, some path that they took, uh, if there's something that really sticks with you as you look back. Yeah, I mean, I, I've worked on a few different TV shows and projects, and I think that the one that I have seen the most impact from is Emily's Wonder Lab. And I think that that is just because, A, it had a larger reach. It, it was on Netflix. And so it was an international 
reach. Um, but also because I was nine months pregnant when I filmed the show. And so um, these kids were watching a nine month pregnant lady who didn't mention at all that she was pregnant. I, I, I totally ignored the situation. I just happened to be a wildly <laughs> pregnant person doing science on TV. Um, and that changed kind of what they expected a scientist to look like. And so I have mm. messages every day. I mean, this show came out a year and a half ago, and I still get dozens of messages every day from families who talk about the impact that it's had on their children and not just their daughters, but also their sons, because, of course, this is changing what their sons expect when they think of a scientist and an, in, and an engineer as well. Um, and some of the stories will be like my daughter, you know, our husband, my husband is an engineer, but she didn't talk about science or engineering until she watched your show because hmm. she finally saw someone who looked like her uh, doing science. Um, the past two Halloweens, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of girls that dressed up as me because they wanted to be a scientist for Halloween. And many of them even put like a pillow in their belly <laughs> because they wanted to be very accurate and very authentic to what a scientist looked like. And that to me is the, I want to work on more projects like that because right. when you see the impact that that has, it, you, you feel something. It's hard not to see these messages and not get in your feels about it because it is certainly... Um, it makes me want to continue doing this type of work because you can see the impact happening in real time. It, it is important, right? I mean, what you do, you, you do it, and, and you mentioned this whenever you were talking about inspiring girls, that that what helps you to help communicate that is is that true, that, uh, you know, that, that true sense of passion, making sure that that is coming forward, not necessarily that, that presenter style, but that you are putting your own passion into that style. And you, you have a feeling that it's helping people, but it's not until, you know, it, it really becomes true whenever you hear those stories. It, it, it has to mean the world. Absolutely. Yeah, it really does. Chris, I wonder if you have a similar story. Uh, lots of STEM programs around NASA. I wonder if you've, you've overseen any of them or talked to any of the girls that have been a part of it and, and have, a, have a story that came from some of these programs. Yes, I, I think... Um... First off, I, I think Emily, your story is is so such a paints such a vivid picture of how important it is to have powerful role models out there, um, men or women, and that and the ability for these young people to see themselves and connect in a really powerful way. I've had an, a whole number of what I characterize as goosebump moments working with students, um, working especially with uh, young girls and underserved and underrepresented students who, like me, when I was their age, um, are limited with respect to what's available to them and especially with respect to out-of-school experiences for them to explore STEM. I think that the, the one example that I would give that is actually not that because it was with college students um, that was incredibly fulfilling for me is I spoke to a group of, of college students, uh, men and women, and we had a very lengthy question and answer period that covered all kinds of topics. It was unlimited what they could ask me. So they wanted to know what I found most, most challenging in my career. What was most exciting? How did I manage people? What was that like? Um, how did I approach work-life balance? Uh, what it was like to be a mother working in STEM, very similar to the story Emily just shared um, as her nine-month pregnant self on TV. <laughs> um, after one, one, uh, afterward, a number of students came up to me to talk to me about how powerful the conversation was for them from a number of different angles. None of them really had anything to do with the, the technical studies they were doing. It was about life as a, as a STEM practitioner and what my STEM journey was like. But one uh, young woman in particular came up to me to the stage and she was in tears. And I thought, oh boy, what did I do? And she told me that sharing, sharing my story and my experiences 
had literally changed her life in that moment. And that for years, she told her parents that she wanted to be an engineer, and they had always counseled her against it because they viewed uh, engineering careers for women to be just too difficult. And so mm. at the end of that conversation, she said to me, I have made the decision to switch to engineering like today, and I'm going to contact my advisor and I'm going to call my parents to let them know that I am going to be an engineer. And for me, that was kind of one of my big goosebump moments because it, it was really evident of the power of, of, of a voice um, merely sharing a story and being out there, um, allowing, helping a student uh, find, find her way. So it was very powerful. Those, those are certainly the most meaningful to me as well. Um, you know, it's, 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 I'm glad to have you both on the podcast to share this because I truly hope people are inspired by, by your own stories. Um, I, I, I think it, there's truly value in it. Uh, I've, I've had a couple of examples, exactly what you're saying, Chris, where, um, you know, someone said that they listened to this podcast or they saw this, you know, they saw something at, at NASA and you and you say, you know, I, and that's when I decided to pursue a career at NASA. So I applied for the internship or or whatnot. And I was like, that's that's why we do what we do. It's 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 exactly those stories where they're they, you know, dress up as their hero who happens to be a nine month pregnant scientist or they change their career on the day or they apply to NASA. Those are the best stories, I think, just across the board. And I think it's it's a, it's an effort that certainly I think all of us agree needs to continue. I wonder what what the goal is, what you're trying to what you're trying to do. Maybe maybe just nudge nudge the world in a certain direction. Uh, but but Emily, we'll start with you. And when it comes to all of these pursuits, science communications, trying to inspire young girls, what are your goals? What exactly is the world that you envision and are trying to build through some of the things that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, for me, I am trying to meet people where they're at and provide education in a medium that works best for them because everybody learns a little bit differently. Not everybody learns the best in a classroom setting or with a textbook, um, for example. And so for me, like my, my recent adventure has been learning how to do SciComm on TikTok and what that means. Um, <laughs> in terms of how to best present scientific information, especially complex information in 60 seconds or less. And it's been really fun. It's worked out really well. And I'm, I'm connecting with especially um, Gen Z and the younger generation in a really unique way and understanding their humor and the way that they like to digest information and the things that they like to learn about. And it's been a really fun way to get out of my own comfort zone and learn about um, just a new way to talk about science. And so for me, I wanna continue to push myself to do things like that, to learn new skills and new platforms and, and ways to talk about science so that I can keep up with the ways that people like to learn. Wonderful. Chris, uh, what about you? I'm sure NASA is always doing the same things, right? There are new ways to engage new audiences all the time. Um, and I'm sure NASA is exploring new STEM engagement programs. What are some of the things, uh, what are some of the things we're doing? And, and same, same deal. What do you, what do you hope for the future? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that, Gary. We, we are, are really committed to uh, the goal of, of building a diverse future STEM workforce. And, and I think I said earlier, a workforce that really reflects the overall population that we serve. And at NASA, we feel that that's vital for our future success. Um, I think another thing that we are committed to at NASA that is really powerful is that we are committed to vastly improving um, an understanding of, of our world and, and the universe in which we live. Uh, that, that, that idea of contributing to improving science literacy in our nation so that we can increase an understanding of, of really many issues that are rooted in science that are vital to the future of our country and the world. And I, I think for us at NASA, we feel that that's part, it's so much part of our mission communicating with the public and engaging and educating 
the public and students in what we do in order to accomplish that. So I think for us, we are continually, as you said, we're looking to uh, always expand our footprint, our digital footprint and, and our, our capacity working with partners to reach students all across the country and, and offer them a, a spectrum of, of learning opportunities on that continuum of STEM experiences, whether it be looking to attract early students early on into STEM and getting them interested and excited about science and engineering, but then also moving those students along a continuum of learning in order to sustain them on their pathways. As Emily said, that students all learn differently. And so when we talk about uh, the journey in STEM, we're really talking about individual student pathways. They, they, they all have different different paths that they take to get to perhaps entering a STEM discipline and, and entering the STEM field. And so what we're trying to do at NASA is really provide a diversity of opportunities and also focus on how we can magnify those opportunities for learning in reaching students who are in underserved and underrepresented communities in STEM who might approach that learning differently. So, so we're also focused on what we say uh, characterizes broadening student participation to really look and measure our success in how are we reaching students and, and what is the, the, um, the cadre of students, the cohorts that we reach, how, what are the constituency of those and are we really adequately reaching a diverse, a diverse group of students? And so it's work that I am just so excited about personally. And my own personal goal is to use my role leading NASA's educational programs and opportunities in, in, in having me help be that voice out there, as, as Emily has talked about, be one of those voices out there in advocating for the work that we're all doing to, to build up our educational efforts across the country. Both of you are so inspirational. Um, there's so much to pull from, from this conversation. Um, and I really do hope that there are young girls listening right now that are considering something like a drastic career change, or at least at the, at the very least, maybe at least exploring uh, an interest in STEM that may have been in them, but they've never really, they've never really uh, thought about it too much un un until listening to you too. So I want to end with this, and Chris, we'll start with you. We talked about a lot. There's a lot to pull from from this um, from this podcast. But if you were to leave uh, this this episode with a nugget, a nugget of information, something to maybe push a girl who's listening right now in in a direction. What, what would be the one nugget, the, the, a, a takeaway that you want to leave them with? Um, one of my key takeaways when I talk to students is really what I'll share now is the, the idea that the universe is out there waiting for you. Um, it, it, there's, there's so much out there in terms of possibilities and ways to contribute uh, to in terms of having a STEM career and have, making a huge difference and impact in the world. And I would just encourage girls and boys to think about how they might uh, be able to, to dream big and, and, and contemplate uh, work in STEM. And we're here to support them and we have opportunities for students to explore and I'd like to encourage any student that's out there listening right now to think big, uh, put on your exploration hat, and, and, and get out there and, and discover what it is you love to do. <laughs> I love it, Chris. Thank you. Emily, same question to you. Some nugget to, to leave our listeners with. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that when you're young, you sort of imagine that all of the adults have everything figured out. Um, in terms of uh, like organization, like every, everybody has everything figured out and everything's working well, but also in terms of discovery, 
Like I assume that the scientists had pretty much figured out all the important things. <laughs> they had answered all the, all of the important questions. And we, our job as the young person was to just learn about all of the answers that they had found. Um, but that's not the case. There are still so many questions that don't have answers, so many mysteries left unsolved, and we need the next generation to be able to help us figure out these answers because we have a lot of really tough challenges. Um, we've mentioned climate change a lot throughout this podcast. That's one of the ones that doesn't really have a simple answer, and we need smart, thoughtful, empathetic people to help work on these challenges. And so that is the, that's the um, prompt that I would give to the next generation is that, you know, we need you. It is so important. Chris and Emily, you are both so inspirational. I, I, it was my pleasure to have you both on this podcast and, and learn from your both and pull on, on your, your, uh, different, but, but similar. There was a lot of overlap, um, experiences in your life. And I hope that it, that it serves to inspire, uh, someone who's listening right now. Uh, so I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So great to be with you. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I was so inspired talking with uh, Chris Brown and Emily Calandrelli. Both had awesome stories to share. I hope you were inspired and, and certainly learned something today. Of course, go to nasa.gov STEM to check out all of the great things that we're doing across the agency. And just a note to reiterate what uh, Chris mentioned, uh, Introduce a Girl to Engineering Day is February 24th. Be sure to check that out on nasa.gov. If you're interested in podcasts, we're one of many across the entire agency. If you want to check out our full collection, we're at nasa.gov slash podcasts. You can like listen to any of our episodes in no particular order. And of course, check out the great other shows we have there. If you want to talk to us, we're on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show and make sure to mention it's for us in Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was recorded on January 27th, 2022. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Heidi Lavelle, Belinda Polito, Anne-Marie Demi, and Michaela Mangeli. And of course, thanks again to Chris Brown and Emily Calandrelli for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.